With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, so you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened? That's, you're asking about yeah blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just so you that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. That's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, they're just going to help that man to power anyway. Question number one, if he's so damn smart, why is he so dumb? <laughs> Let's just assume for a second that he's completely innocent of any of the accusations of sexual misconduct, then why does a federal judge think he can lie about little things that are easily disproven? Things that, if you already don't trust him, make you trust him less. And if you do trust him, make you think, huh, why do I trust him? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So this is the first episode of Trumpcast without its founder, Jacob Weisberg, at the helm. Jacob has moved on from Slate after 22 years to start his own audio company, and we expect great things. I know that one of the hardest things for Jake in leaving Slate was leaving Trumpcast, which is where he fell for podcasting and helped refine and invigorate the form. Podcasting in our time has evolved as a razor-sharp way to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And it's almost sub rosa. Trump, for one, doesn't listen to podcasts, and by design, they're difficult to tweet. But wait, not disturb the comfortable, not the merely comfortable. Political podcasts, the good ones, exist to disturb the tyranny. And in that spirit, I want to assure listeners that Trumpcast is still here for you, and we promise to stay until this is over. Jacob tapped me as his successor over the weekend at TribFest in Austin, Texas, and I intend to stick around as your host as we endeavor to tell the truth about our times. So back to business. My guest today to talk about the Kavanaugh hearings, the prosecution of Dr. Ford, the Senate, and the chances of Kavanaugh's being confirmed to the Supreme Court is Ellie Honig. He's a former federal and state prosecutor, now a professor at Rutgers. His recent opinion pieces for CNN are three things the FBI must investigate on Ford and Kavanaugh, and Rachel Mitchell did sex crimes victims a disservice. I heartily recommend both pieces, which are in the show notes on slate.com slash Trumpcast. I'll be back with Ellie in just a minute, but first, the tweets. Just started tonight. A seventh FBI investigation of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. He will someday be recognized as a truly great justice of the United States Supreme Court. 
Avenatti is a third-rate lawyer who is good at making false accusations like he did on me and like he is now doing on Judge Brett Kavanaugh. He is just looking for attention and doesn't want people to look at his past record and relationships. Total low life. Rush Limbaugh to Republicans. You can kiss the midterms goodbye if you don't get highly qualified Kavanaugh approved. Wow. Just starting, dear the Democrats, who are only thinking obstruct and delay, are starting to put out the word that the time and scope of the FBI looking into Judge Kavanaugh and witnesses is not enough. Hello. For them, it will never be enough. Stay tuned and watch. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ellie, thanks so much for being with me in the studio. Glad to be here, Virginia. So what I like in a guy right now is prosecutorial overreach. I know you are not an <laughs> overreacher, but I, you're a former federal and state prosecutor, and um, and now you're you're teaching it at Rutgers. Is that right? Yeah, I'm teaching. We're launching a new uh, a new program. Yeah, we got a lot of things going on. So I just want to start with sort of a, a scary gotcha question. How many times since you heard about that UB40 bar fight have you listened to Red Red Wine? Only when exposed to it through the media. But gosh, I thought we heard the end of UB40. How horrible. I hated them even when they came out when I was probably 12 or 13. And I hated them then, even when they were hot. They're they're the worst band. (laughs) And by the way, one of my questions is, was the fight because Kavanaugh was disappointed that the guy was not the lead singer from UB40? Or was he arguing, no, you really are the lead singer from UB40? Like, I have a lot of questions about the UB40 bar fight. I wish we could ask him, but I'm sure he blacked out. (laughs) Um, All right, so you wrote a piece about three things the FBI needs to investigate um, about Brett Kavanaugh. Lay this out for us. I know they're now, that was two days ago, so I know they're now more than three probably that interest you, but lay out for us what... Uh, what are those three things? Yeah, sort of, but as a precondition to all those three things, the most important thing, I think, is that the FBI be let to do its business. The FBI does its best work when it's left alone. And throughout the week, we've seen varying accounts of limitations put on by the White House or the congressional Republicans. And then Trump tweets out, no, they're free to do what they want. And then reports break, but they're severely limited. It is so important that the FBI be left to do what it wants without limitation. Even the Democrats submitted 24 names. That won't work because you cannot script out an investigation, a criminal investigation, every witness is going to direct you to other witnesses, to other documents, leads, right? They call them leads because it leads you to new places. Mm. And so you you can, you can cannot say, we're going to interview these 24 people and we're not going to do any follow-up. That is not a proper investigation. So mm-hmm. to the extent that politicians are involved, nobody will perceive this as legitimate. If there's limitations mm. put on, on the investigation, then people won't accept it. And I think an important part of what we're doing here is A, to find the facts, but B, to assure the American people and the senators who are voting on this, that there's been a real process here. Mm-hmm. So I think what I think what the Republicans are trying to do is allow there to be enough process that they can say, see, we did a good job, and also to not alienate Flake and Murkowski and Collins. Yeah. Um, so that's my 
pre-note to my my three things. Number one, Mark Judge. Yeah. The mystery man, right? Who is this guy? We don't know too much about him. We know he submitted a one-page statement to the Senate just saying, I don't recall those events, which Kavanaugh completely mischaracterized when he said it's refuted. Yeah. That's not refuted. Yeah. Um, first of all, if he was a blackout drunk, which seems quite clear he was, he wouldn't remember it. He, he was by his own admission. He I mean, wrote his, a book about his it. Novel, his book is called Wasted. Yeah. Um, and even mentions a Kavanaugh figure and sort of Bart a Yeah. And exactly. one of the things we just learned yesterday is that Brett Kavanaugh signed his letters to his buddies as Bart. So... Judge, I would I think he, he needs to be questioned. This is it's one thing to send in a one page letter to send it through your lawyer. It's the other to sit there with FBI agents. Right. And I would want to know all about judges drinking habits, but Kavanaugh's drinking habits, mm-hmm. too. You know, some of the Republicans out there have been saying this is getting silly. Who cares if he liked beer? He's mm-hmm. being persecuted for. It's not about that. It's it's central to the story of what happened here. Yeah. Dr. Ford's testimonies, they were both super drunk. Yeah. You know, the defense of I don't recall goes away if he was a regular blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. And that and here's the tell that you could see if you watch that hearing. Kavanaugh Dodge and Kavanaugh is a one of the smartest guys, I'm sure, on the planet. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at his credentials. So for the last 12 years, what he does, is he sits up on his bench and he asks questions of lawyers. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are not responsive to a judge, you can't dodge a judge. Yeah. He will say, that's not what I asked you, counsel. And the two things that he conspicuously dodged were, do you want an FBI investigation? Right. And mm-hmm. he came up, well, I'm here now. Whatever the ca- committee Yeah, whatever they want. Yeah. That is totally different. And the alcohol thing, the blackout thing. Yeah. And that's what led to that famous exchange with Senator Klobuchar, where he said, I don't know, do you? Yeah. Um, and, I, also, with yeah. White House, the like, do you play quarters? Uh, I, I just, I don't know if you, yeah. you missed that, but yeah, but listen, I was a public school guy all the way and, yeah. and we played quarters too. So. Oh, I played quarters. I'm not going to say I didn't yeah. play quarters. But yeah, there was but, more than three cups. But you know what? I didn't play devil's triangle. I, I don't really know how it's played. <laughs> I asked Urban Dictionary and it doesn't sound like something I, you know, I'm that interested. There in. had to be a two hour stretch or that was the most Googled term. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Back to yeah. like, yes. So the, the alcohol, the alcohol matters a lot. And that's a lot of what's been coming out the last few days. Look, the guy is kidding us if he thinks we're going to believe. And he went from his Fox interview of like, I, I hardly took any alcohol into my yeah. pure self to at his hearing yelling, I like beer. Yeah. Um, but still never blacked out, never to, to extremes. I find that very, very hard to believe. I think that stretched credibility. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one of his more implausible answers. So, Although I will say yeah. as a as a sober alcoholic, as a recovered addict, if you're a big drinker and you don't black out, sometimes Coke's in the picture, especially when it's the 80s, just saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're telling me you're the expert. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, so you have, you want well, Mark Judge. So Mark Judge is number one. I also think it's very important that the FBI talk to the five people who Dr. Ford told this story to well in advance. Mm-hmm. Right. So so Dr. Ford told people about this attack. She told three friends, her husband, and a therapist mm-hmm. as far back as 2012, all the way up through 2017. If I was the FBI, I'd sit with each of these people. I'd say, I would want all the specifics. What did she say? Importantly, I would say, is there any documentation of this? Did you write her an email afterwards, a text afterwards saying, hey, thanks for telling me this and I'm here to support you? Did you perhaps write an account that maybe undermined her account? If she did tell those people, that is powerful corroboration for her. The federal rules of evidence, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to turn this into law school, but they embody the common sense notion that if somebody told a prior consistent statement Mm -hmm. before the motive to fabricate, Mm -hmm. alleged motive to fabricate arose, that's powerful proof that they're telling the truth now. And on the flip side, if those witnesses don't stand up, if it turns out she didn't say what she said, then that hurts her credibility. I suspect she did. Um, but I'm just sort of ballparking now. So that's number two. 
And then number three, this is, this is, I guess, a little bit of like the Perry Mason moment of this whole thing is the, the July 1 calendar entry. Yeah. So the July 1 entry says, you know, met at Timmy's, from paraphrasing, for skis, which we know is brew skis. Yep. I'm surprised he didn't try also, to argue it was Alpine or something. But Well, I'll, yeah. uh, I just will say, incidentally, like snowing and skiing metaphors also apply to cocaine. I'm just saying. Ah, okay. But anyway, skis. <laughs> Cory right. Booker got him to admit that that skis does mean brewskis, right? With Ju- Mark Judge yeah. and PJ, yeah, and then a couple other guys, Squee and whoever else, yeah. And um, <laughs> you can't not laugh. You're Especially, tired. I know you're tired of this. You tried to blow past the Squee joke, but come on. I, I just can't. Uh, you just have to think of Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know. I know. I know. Squee. Yeah. But that is a really close to a direct hit on what Doctor Ford said. She said it was a gathering. We we drank. It was Kavanaugh. It yeah. was Mark Judge. It was PJ. It was a, another guy, another boy whose name I don't recall. Yeah. Now, Chuck Grassley said, well, that's that's not the right number of people. That's, that's six or seven people. Mm-hmm. But she said it was a pre-gathering. So who's to know? Maybe one or two of those guys didn't show. Maybe one or two of those guys rolled in later. It is really pretty close. The time frame matches up, right? She said six to eight weeks later, I saw a judge working at, at the Safeway. And um, that sort of brought it back for me. Right. And if you look at, you have to do a little step by step. Uh, judge in his book said he worked at that Safeway before football camp. And then you go back to Kavanaugh's calendar, yes. which said football camp, as most high school football camps are, it was right. end of August. Count back six to eight weeks. It's right in that July 1 time frame. So they need to find Gaudet's, Timmy Gaudet's house, which they have. Mm-hmm. They should look at the interior. Look, I don't think it has to match up exactly with her testimony, but they should see, is it plausible that it happened in this way and how maybe she is on point. Maybe she she's way she, off. I think she said she could draw the floor plan. Yeah. I would ask her to do that. Yeah. Without see, obviously without seeing it. They need to dig in on that. They need to get the Safeway records. Although I don't even know that you need the Safeway record. Mm-hmm. But you have Judge saying he worked there before football camp in his yeah. book. You, you can do that just with the, with the book and the calendar. So those are the kind of things that need to be dug in on. And again, they're not going to find, there's not going to be a videotape of this. This isn't the Nixon White House where the room was bugged or something. And I don't think it's likely that judge just sort of comes clean and says, all right, I was there. It did kind of happen that way. So I think you're going to have to piece this together, you know, piece by piece. Um, but the yeah. problem is ultimately there'll be something for both sides. Yeah. Right. There will be enough for well, Kavanaugh's defenders to say there's not enough there. And there'll be enough for Dr. Ford's defenders and believers to say there's plenty there. So one thing that frustrated me a bit about the four, both the Ford testimony and the Kavanaugh is that they were so emotional that they yeah. were caught up in ideas of left-wing conspiracies on the one hand and with Dr. Ford, invocations of Me Too, invocations of how many sexual assault survivors there are. And now, I'm not sure everyone agrees with me, but I would have liked to see her identify, and I don't know why this doesn't happen in sex crimes, why she isn't identified as an eyewitness and a whistleblower and rather than a victim and a survivor. Mm-hmm. So what if she had seen an armed robbery in 1982 and was coming forward to say that Kavanaugh had committed it? Right. She would be more incentivized to come forward because she'd suffer less upset talking about something that wasn't a sexual crime. Yeah. And she also, yes, yeah, and she wouldn't have all the reasons that she'd been silenced by, you know, that you might be silenced by people who re-victimize rape victims. And she could, problem is it comes across as a victim statement. And then she can be accused of being a crisis actor where an eyewitness to an assault, you know, to a someone else's assault, like your hitman, right has like a clean emotional state right and, you know which it seemed like she by the way did at the time it was traumatic going forward but at the time 
she was able to recognize the people in the room. Anyway, yeah. So, that. so that that's an important issue, and I think she's all of those things. She, she's she's a victim and a survivor and an eyewitness. Yeah. Of course, the most important, the two most important eyewitnesses or three. Yeah. Are the three people who are in that room. But but what you're touching on sort of relates to to the second article that I wrote this week. Yeah. Um, about that sex crime victims and survivors sort of fall into a little bit of a different category yeah, yeah, yeah. because is it is so hard to come forward, right? And there's stats out there estimating 90% don't come forward. I've done a lot of work with with sexual assault victims, with sexual assault advocacy groups, and it's true. It is, the I think, probably the hardest crime for people to come forward on because of the issues you talked about. It's scary. Mm-hmm. There's trauma. You're dealing mm-hmm. with a person who's been traumatized. There's distrust of law enforcement, and this gets mm-hmm. to my my mm. my beef with Rachel Mitchell. Yeah, uh, we worked incredibly hard when I was with the AG's office to build relationships of trust with sex crimes victims and survivors because it's hard to come forward. And look, they don't trust the cops a lot of times. They don't yeah. trust the prosecutors. And one of the things that that's happening now in law enforcement is people are investing millions of dollars in new methods to gain the trust. Of sex crime victims mm-hmm. in New Jersey, for example, a lot of counties are, are building these family justice centers, which mm-hmm. are these beautiful facilities. A lot of times attached to the prosecutor's office, but separate. It doesn't feel like a police station. Yeah. There's not there's not handcuffs and cops and radios. Mm. It's more feels just like like a, a home. Yeah, there's couches, there's kids' toys, there's comfort comfortable areas, right. there's nurses there if if you need, and all of that is an effort to give comfort to sex crimes victims and to encourage more of them to come forward. You know, I consider myself an eyewitness to a rape, also, I guess, a victim of it. But Mm -hmm. I also like to be talked to, you know, this guy has a history. I like to be talked to as a witness because then I feel like I'm allowed to have all my faculties. And I'm not totally sure that I would respond to, like, beautiful chintz chairs and room for my kids to run around because I would feel like I'm in a weepy therapy place instead of like, oh, that guy's testifying to the fact that he saw an armed robbery and I'm over here testifying to the fact I saw rape. It also makes me less complicit. Like, it just makes me a bystander as much as a victim. But these are all really weird. The fact that it's very weird to talk about this particular crime of rape and that it falls in its own category or assault, sexual assault. I see now how that makes it really interesting. Of course. And one of the silver linings, again, getting back to silver line, let's try to keep some optimism. Yes, here, please. Is that I think a lot of people are coming forward and have come forward just in the last week. Um, the Me Too movement sort of was was a huge impetus yeah. when it really you know came to the forefront. But this is another, I think, important moment. I mean, just off the top of my head, we had Loretta Weinberg is yeah. is a is a senator, state senator for the state of New Jersey, very well known figure. She's run for governor, lieutenant governor. She's I think in her eighties. Yeah, and she came forward this week about a sex assault that happened to her seventy years ago. And I think I think Senator Leahy sort of said it right when he yeah. said courage is contagious or bravery is contagious. Yeah, and so I do think that's a silver lining about this, and I do think the stigma. It's still very much there, and and it's it. There's still far too few people that feel like they can come forward. But I, I imagine if you go back to the 1950s and 60s, nobody came forward on this because yeah. our, our social mores, I think, are changing for the better in a way that's good for victims and and for um and for law enforcement as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. All right. So Rachel Mitchell, she uh. um is. <laughs> we've done shows about. Her, I guess, colleague, Joe Arpaio, I think of him as Death Camp Joe Arpaio, ran death camps for people of color, uh, like where they were, they literally, you know, basically burned to death in the Arizona heat. Um, He has been pardoned by the president, naturally. Some people think that he was proving that he could pardon some of the worst people alive so that he could get away with pardoning some of his Confederates. Um, And she worked with him. Mm -hmm. So what... um, that suggests to me that 
I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I, I My guess is that there was another climate of rape accusations, and it was accusations toward to, to people of color that they had raped white women, and often those were false. That's like the context of lynching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have like a sheriff, an incredibly aggressive sheriff, who's like rounding up um, Mexicans and other mostly brown people, but brown and black people. And then you have her prosecuting sex crimes. Now, I'm not sure that she's prosecuted. I'm, you can tell me otherwise. But I'm not sure she was prosecuting people who looked like Brett Kavanaugh. I think she may have been prosecuting the same people that Sheriff Joe Arpaio was prosecuting. And there's a lot more history of false allegations in that world. That's why her not being a great ally to Dr. Ford or to Me Too, even though she's been a sex crimes prosecutor, there's that's a one way to square that circle is that she's coming at a different climate at the very least of sex crimes prosecutions. What do you think? It, it could well be. I, I have a lot of problems with Rachel Mitchell and, and her performance from step one on. Okay. First of all, they bring her in as this obvious human shield, right? The Republicans said, yeah. since when are senators afraid to grandstand it and question things that they have zero expertise in? It was so obvious why they brought her in. They hate, they understood that it would be a terrible optic to have all these old creaky guys interrogating Dr. Ford. And so they hid behind her. Okay, so that's number one that I have yeah. an issue with with Rachel Mitchell. She, by the way, she didn't have to do this. It's not like right. she was drafted in the military or something. Yeah. She had every she has every right and ability to say, no way. And I, I don't know many prosecutors who would have agreed to do it. And and as I raised in the article, I'm not sure how she squares what she did with the state constitution for Arizona. Most states huh. have a similar thing, a victim's bill of rights. Yeah. And, and I quoted it in my article, but it says all victims have the right to be respected and treated with dignity. Um, I'm not sure how she sort of squares that with with what she did. So number one, agreeing to come in as, as a sort of human shield. Number two, in a partisan way. One of the things we pride ourselves on as prosecutors is being non-political or apolitical. And there's all these rules and restrictions. We're not allowed to donate money to political candidates. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to have a lawn sign, at least in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And there's similar restrictions all around the country. So how you take a job, and I don't know whether she was paid or not, nobody seems to know, but how you come in and, and do work for the Senate Republicans mm-hmm. and you cross-examine one witness, but not the other. And her written report is addressed not to the Senate, but it is addressed to Senate Republicans. So that's another problem that I have with her, her performance as a prosecutor. It, it totally undermines the whole notion of the apolitical, the non-political prosecutor. Mm-hmm. So I have a problem with that. I think she's getting a bit of a pass to some extent because she's sort of this sympathetic, gentle figure. And I could actually see her in the right context being an effective sex crimes prosecutor. Mm-hmm. She has a nice bearing about her. She wasn't threatening. She wasn't a fire breather. Right. And I can see her being comforting in the right setting, but this was not the right setting for that. I thought her cross-examination, I just looked at it as as a trial, was was a dud. She went nowhere. She didn't even touch on the event itself. I will say in in Rachel Mitchell's, I guess, defense, that format was horrible. It was, format was horrible. Five minutes at a time, she'd be mid-question. I mean, so I think think any prosecutor would have been hard-pressed to really score points there. Mm -hmm. But, and and it almost felt like at the end, she started to, to defect yeah. From the camp, right? When she said, um, you know, do you agree that this format is silly? Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, so, yeah. she's serving as a defense attorney in that case, right? Like, she, what's weird yeah. is that she's called a prosecutor as if the victim should be on the stand. Well, like, and on trial, I mean. And this is my number one complaint with her. I think yeah. she sent a terrible message to victims. And and 
I'm sure that thousands or tens of thousands of, of victims or maybe more saw that testimony and watched mm-hmm. it. And every one of them was probably thinking, wait, this is a pro- this is a sex crimes prosecutor yeah. who's cross-examining her? Right. Is that what's going to happen to me if I go in to, to the cops, to, to, to the DA? Am I going to get asked about, you know, all these questions about my personal life? Am I going to get grilled? Now, I will say this. Some of the questions that Rachel Mitchell asked are appropriate to ask. You, yeah. you don't just take any witness's statement verbatim and on face value and say, that's it. It's gospel. You have to probe. You have yeah. to test but you do it in a in in, in an, an intake room where it's confidential, uh, yeah. where it's private, where the the witness will not be exposed to the public, to her family. Right. And this is the opposite of that. I mean, I, yeah. I wonder what the ratings were, but I mean, more people probably watch this than I don't know the Super Bowl or something. If you add it yeah. all up, all the different yeah. networks, and she's doing it publicly. And if I was ever asked that, or any prosecutor I know asked to do this, yeah, for Democrats or or Republicans or anybody, I, I would say absolutely not. I don't know why she agreed to do it. I don't know if she was told to do it. I'm sorry. I, I just don't understand how she justifies what she did. And it's not a prosecution. How would you have cross-examined Dr. Ford? Ooh. Like, do you see any? <laughs> did you see any windows of opportunity aside from her? You know, her memory yeah. lapses from 1982. But anyway, so the strategy they took was was dancing around the main issue, and I've seen this happen. Okay. Right? Sometimes you have a cooperating witness, and I think good defense lawyers will tell you this too, or any witness, whether it's cooperating or not, who who you don't want to attack either because their testimony is not really attackable or you think they cut a sympathetic figure and you don't want yeah. to alienate your jury or your audience or whoever it is. And so what they did here is sort of danced around it, right? And and they tried to hit on all the peripheral things, your fear of flying, your this, your that. They tried to undermine her through external areas of examination. Mm-hmm. The problem is when, they, when you do that, you kind of signal to the jury like, I'm a little bit afraid of going to the heart of the uh, matter. Yeah. So I think what I probably would have done, let me say, by the way, she is a, an extraordinarily difficult, would be an extraordinarily difficult witness to cross-examine. I think she came across as very credible. She was very careful about what she did remember specifically and what she did not mm-hmm. remember specifically. Mm-hmm. She said, for example, she said, when I went up to, to the top of the stairs, I was pushed in the room. She said, I don't know which one of them did that. But then she was very clear in the room. Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh got on top of me. Judge mm-hmm. stood over to the side. And then there were, and then she, she made like flickering and she thought sympathetic eye contact with Mark Judge, yeah. who she thought might intervene and then he didn't. I mean, right. But she was very clear about what she did and did not yeah. remember. And, and I think that's a sign of credibility because if a witness is trying to fill in all the gaps, yeah, that gets a little suspicious. Yeah. Right. And, and I think her, the way she recounted this is consistent with the way we all understand human memory works, which is if something important happened a long time ago, you remember the big details. You remember who yeah. was there, what was happening. But you know, you don't necessarily remember what exactly everyone was wearing or what yeah. song was on the radio or how you got there or, or from. So I thought she came across as very credible. She was not sarcastic. She was not evasive. Mm-hmm. She tried to be as responsive as possible. So she'd be a tough, a, a tough target to cross-examine. I think what I w- probably would have done differently is gone at all the things she couldn't remember yeah. and just ticked them off 10 in a row. How did you get there? I don't remember. Yeah. How did you get home? I don't remember. Who was the fourth guy there? I don't remember. Are you sure it was four guys? So you're sure there wasn't a fifth up, and a sixth? And then build up to chip it away at what she later said was the exactly. 100% idea that it was Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Um, incidentally, that you come very close to what, uh, sorry, to what <laughs> Trump said in his rally last night. He, he also listed all the things she couldn't remember. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that's that's fair game in assessing yeah. somebody to say the memory isn't there of too many details, so you can't trust the person. Now, I think it's up to the, the fact, fact finder, whoever, whether that's a jury or a bunch of senators, mm. the American public to decide what outweighs what. But I do think he actually, 
put aside the condescending manner and the fact that he's the president, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the best you can do to undermine her testimony. Mm-hmm. Does it carry the day? I don't think so. I think there's enough credibility in her account and enough corroboration for what she said. Yeah. But I think reasonable people could differ on that. Even if somehow he were cleared of some of the charges like that have now morphed into, were you a heavy drinker? Did you ever black out? Did you um, do like weird sex things or whatever? So even if he were cleared of all those things, I just like the demeanor, the temperament, the lying, the whatever. It's just we're we're really we're talking about a much lower burden of proof or whatever for confirmation. Yeah. The court, and everyone else has said this, too. But um, yeah, we Can I just agree yeah. on, with you on two things there. So putting aside, I know it's hard to do, but putting aside even the sex assault yeah. a- allegations here. Kavanaugh's performance on Thursday, at the hearing was was troubling in two respects. Number, the two things that a judge has to be is one, nonpartisan, impartial, mm-hmm. right? And Kavanaugh himself has given speeches at law schools about how the judge must be straight impartial. Yeah. His rant about this is a setup, this is payback from the right. Clintons. I know. I, I want everyone to understand how outrageous it is. Judges are allergic to politics. They mm-hmm. will never discuss politics mm-hmm. from the bench. They will never discuss politics off the record with the media. Like I said, a lot of the same restrictions apply. No no donations, no yard signs, lawn yeah. signs. And for a judge, never mind someone who's going potentially going up to the Supreme Court to go on a partisan rant like that is completely unprecedented yep. and, and stunning. The other thing is judicial temperament and demeanor, right? Mm-hmm. And this means judges should act judicial. They mm-hmm. should be steady and calm and rational. And I understand to some extent that he was emotional, but he was absurd he was mm-hmm. screaming and then he was weeping and then he was back to screaming and then he was sarcastic and nasty yeah. with, with with senator klobuchar and, and with senator whitehouse i mean that is not a judicial temperament so yeah. putting aside everything else those two things i think are a big problem there are many many futures markets on 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 uh, kavanaugh confirmed or not do you are you are you bullish or bearish it or? is it is going to be such a close call i mean look it's all going to come down to flake murkowski and collins yeah for all the all the uh, uh opinionating that's out there and all the all the discussion it's really going to come down to those three senators i think i would put slight odds slight favorite on him getting through i just think politics look we always have to remember this this is politics this isn't law this isn't criminal justice this is in the end this is a political process this will be decided by the united states senate and it's going to come down to those three and i think it's i think it's going to take uh, a really bold political act for two of the three of them to to flip over and join the Democrats. And, and if I had to if I had to bet, I almost change my mind on this every five yeah. minutes, but I think I'd say 60-40 that he gets through. You heard it here first, Trumpcast <laughs> listeners. Thank you so much, Ali, for being here. Anytime. My pleasure. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by AC Valdez. Our voice of Donald Trump is, as usual, the great John D. Domenico. The role of Trumpcast host was originated by Jacob Weisberg, who will be back as a guest on the show before long. Producer Jason DeLeon is working on something big. More on that to come. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thank you for listening to Trumpcast. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.